Let us pray together. Oh God, you are holy. You are loving. And sometimes, God, we cannot understand how you can be both. For we think of something that is holy as protected and above and removed. And yet we know that love is close and intimate and risky. But you are holy and you are loving. And not only are you holy and loving, but you call us to be holy. You call us to be loving. And to be honest, God, we have a hard time figuring out how to be both. For when we pursue holiness, we as humans tend to make rules and laws. We tend to remove ourselves from interactions with others. And more than that, our attitudes become one of we are better than our neighbors because we are holy. We don't do holiness well. And yet that is what you want us to be. And so when we try to be more loving, God, we have to admit that we start questioning our motives. And a part of us starts to wonder if we are being too loving, too open to others, too accepting, if that is even possible. And yet in you, we find holiness and we find love. And in that perfect mix of holiness and love, we find Jesus Christ. Holiness and love in the flesh. You, God, came to us to show us what it means to be holy and loving. You, God, came to us in love to create a way to you in your holiness. And that is why we pray to you, holy and loving God, because you are holy. You are loving. And so we pray this morning that you will show us what it means to be holy. Show us what it means to be loving. And show us those times where we have failed at both. Those times when our own sin trumped our pursuit of holiness and our practice of love. And forgive us, God, as we bring these times to you this morning in silent prayer. We pray in the name of the holy and loving Christ. Amen. Through Christ, God has rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He sets us free through the Son and forgives our sins. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we ask for your spirit to be with us this morning. We ask that we might be able to receive this passage of 1 Corinthians 13 in the way that is pleasing to you. And I pray most earnestly that the word of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen.
the love chapter. It's what Brian just read, 1 Corinthians 13. And it is very familiar and very, very beautiful. And it has so much to it. And I, I find myself asking after reading this and after looking at it again, is this really what God expects of us? Are we really supposed to follow this? The love agape described in the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is so concrete, so complete, so detailed, that when people say, I want to choose this passage for my wedding ceremony, I say, are you sure? It's a setup. Nobody can love in this way. However, if you did choose it for your wedding, it's, I'm, it's beautiful, and I understand why you did. It is a bit of a uh, setup because humans fall so short of this, and that's the key. Humans fall short of giving and offering perfect love. What is being described here is the ideal, the lofty goal. The only one who completely loves this way is God himself. And I find myself mentally referring to this passage all the time because I need to remind myself just how much God loves when I've blown it and when I've not been loving. And when those things happen, it's really easy to believe that therefore God is disappointed. And then I remember, God isn't the one who holds grudges. God isn't the one who holds wrongs against us. God endures all that we are for love's sake. And what is being introduced to us is the process of loving for its own reward. Love for love's sake is actually the definition of agape love. This is a force that transforms. And it doesn't make sense in terms of the world. Agape, kingdom of God, does not make sense in terms of the world. And there is something that happens to us when we trust God and begin to receive agape love. We are transformed. And love is the change agent. And it happens over time. But sometimes God in his grace allows an experience to happen to us where we are so sure of the love of God that the transformation takes a leap forward. It's hard work, not simply warm feelings, this love that Paul is talking about. Although there is a nurturing part of it, love itself is not contingent on feelings, as the chapter reveals. Paul tells us the importance of the subject in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's all about love. Without it, our acts are futile. We can possess demonstrably effective gifts and abilities, a silver tongue, impressive prayer delivery, faith to move mountains, and extreme knowledge. But if we don't have love, it's not worth anything. And I remember as a kid growing up in the Baptist church that there wasn't necessarily a correlation between the people who knew every single thing in the Bible and the people who knew how to love. We can have all the knowledge in the world, but if there is no love, it's not worth much. Paul said, I have all of this, and he kind of did, but I don't have love, and if I don't have love, I am nothing. Love is a lot of work, 
It's usually a verb, and it's dependent upon the understanding that the effort is worth it because, very simply put, people are worth it. People are worth loving. It's such a simple thought. Christ did not come to sacrificially save a world that isn't worth saving. As followers of Christ, we must own this Jesus stance. People are worth it. He entered into a mess. He entered into evil. He entered into destruction and said, with my life, I will love you. And I will love every one of you because you are of great and singular worth. The chapter is relational. Christ is relational. It's about how we relate to the ones we, who we are around a lot, meaning our families, our church family is what he was talking about. We may give every single thing we own to the unknown poor. And make no mistake about it, that is a good thing. But just know that that is easier than loving the truly known, the people we're with every single day. You can hand over your body. And I was thinking, there's really no modern parallel to the way people would offer themselves as sacrifices. And I thought, you know, we have people who donate organs, who give their bodies away. But if there is no love in the act, you gain nothing with God. I gain nothing, Paul said. Not in the eyes of God. Not if I don't have love. And then he explains, and I'm just going to go through a few of these, but they are so crucial and so profound that love is patient is his first statement. Patience. It's a difficult process. Being patient with others who stumble and fall. Being patient with ourselves when we stumble and fall. In the process of being patient, God works with us he fine-tunes us, he changes us, he adjusts our expectations. And patience is the act connected with hanging in there with each other. Instead of writing someone off or being critical, love says, give them time. God is working with them and in them, give them time. And the patience of God extends to everything. It oils the process of living. Patience is a rare commodity. You won't find it promoted in our culture. Patience is really close to impossible for some of us. And thank God for the Holy Spirit, which oils it and fuels it and allows the patience to happen. Thank God for humor so we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. My brother and I, at this moment really, are trying to become last minute fans. <laughs> he lives in San Francisco and we are not really NFL kind of people and this is the same guy who visited at Christmas and because he's out of the country two-thirds of the time asked in a clueless way if the Baltimore football team was any good do you remember that I am not patient enough to be a good fan following all the players, knowing things about the team that takes sustained attentiveness and lack of jumpiness because I can't even watch the game because it's too rough. So now that I am a fan, Dan and I are texting back and forth to be fans. And my first text to him was, 
I believe the Ravens, Ravens are the superior team. <laughs> so much insight. <laughs> and I'm not even going to tell you what he texted me back. <laughs> and so I thought to myself, I've been impatient. I haven't stuck with them. I don't deserve to be a, a fan but I want to claim them, and I want to love them, can I? Agape love is patient with us, in spite of us. And there are times when through the power of God, whether we know it or not, we find ourselves exhibiting supernatural patience. It doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. And the rewards are immense. And we find ourselves saying, thank God I waited. Thank God I didn't interfere. So why aren't we more invested in being that way? The qualities in the chapter continue. Love is kind. Another love act sorely absent in these times is lack of civility. And that's been the topics of books and discussions since the 1980s. Now we find the crudest and the rudest things spotlighted and people spotlighted. And people are viewed as commodities. In the slang of the day, people are dismissed with, I'm done, meaning I'm done with you as a person. When kindness says, you matter and my actions will convey this, a discovery about kindness is that it contains boundaries, boundaries regarding civility. You know that there are people in your life that we actually cannot be rude to because their kindness prohibits it. Kindness brings out the best in people. And when we see people being rude to basically kind people, this is an assault to our spirit. Think about the kindest, most loving person you know, and then think of someone trashing them, and that hurts our spirit. Kindness. Loving, appropriate containment. An unkind word can create an avalanche of unloving behavior. And the Hebrew understanding of love combines the words loving and kindness. The two are linked. And the chapter goes on. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. Christ washed people's feet. When disciples argued about who should get the place of honor, you can sense the crucial teaching opportunity for Christ, a patient teaching opportunity, as he's trying to explain. Even asking about a place for honor is inappropriate. When people express a need for honor, when people brag and compete, and there are so many ways to do this, it's a way of letting each other know, in case you don't realize it, I am special. We seek admiration because we confuse it with love. It's what the culture tells us, that admiration and love are the same thing. Not necessarily. And then Paul says love does not insist on its own way. Paul is speaking to the church, the fledgling Corinthian church, where relationships were intense, and he's been driving home the point that love for the common good is, in fact, love for the individual. An individual is set free when the common good is lovingly protected. 
to allow individuals to have their own way when it creates destruction that thwarts the spirit, thwarts our capacity to love, ushering in fear and resentment, which is his next point. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. And then Paul continues, do we get irritable and resentful? And most of us would say, of course. But we have a patient God who in giving us this impossible standard is expressing belief in us and love for us that we can be far more than we ever dreamed. Love rejoices in the truth, and it rejoices in that truth that God believes in us. It bears all things, it believes all things, it endures all things. Every one of us somewhere in our soul, whether we're aware of it or not, fears that there will be at some point some kind of abandonment if we don't shape up. Nothing could be farther from the truth. There is no abandonment in love. And I remember at a time of reconnection with Christ and the Holy Spirit, hearing, O oh love, that will not let me go. Love is so much about not giving up on each other the way God did not give up on us. And God love, God like agape love has a dimension to it that must be stated, and that is loving when there is no expectation of getting anything back. Parents do it all the time. Pastors do it. Servants of God do it. And you do it. It doesn't matter if I'm in this, I'm going to love anyway. I will love for love's sake, the process being its own reward. It's called following Christ. It's called God. We love because he first loved us. Come to the table. Let us pray. Lord, help us wade in, help us receive, help us open up to the love that is here to the love that is you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.